I think it's one of the saddest things is that you see people driving around with bumper stickers saying, my student's an honor student, or you have parents all over Facebook or Instagram sharing what seems like kind of routine accomplishments, but good for their kids, right? And good for them. But we can't do that as easily because then we're perceived as elitist or snobby or tiger moms or not caring about other kids. Like there's this stigma against sharing some of these accomplishments. And some of them are really remarkable what some of these kids do. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. It's been a while since I've done an episode that focuses squarely on giftedness and the unique challenges parents face in supporting their bright, gifted, and twice-exceptional kids. So when I found out that Gail Post, the psychologist behind the popular Gifted Challenge blog, which incidentally was one of my very first go-to resources before I even dreamed of creating Tilt Parenting, had just released a new book for parents, I reached out and invited her to join me on the show. As a clinical psychologist, parenting coach, and consultant for more than 35 years, and as the parent of two gifted young adults, Gail has been providing psychotherapy with a focus on the needs of intellectually and musically gifted and twice exceptional kids. Her new book, The Gifted Parenting Journey, a guide to self-discovery and support for families of gifted children, combines research, theory, and clinical experience and extends her advocacy efforts to address the needs of parents of gifted children. In this episode, we're diving into the realities of parenting gifted and 2E kids. Gail and I talk about the common challenges of parents raising these kids' experience as part of the journey, why it can sometimes feel uncomfortable to celebrate our child's accomplishments with others, and how that actually impacts our kids and us, and how to handle our own expectations and pressures we may experience because of our child's unique learning profile. We also explore what many families of gifted kids experience as a complicated relationship with the word potential, as well as how we as parents can manage our own uncomfortable emotions that may arise in parenting our kids, including anxiety, envy, and guilt. If you're parenting a gifted or 2E child, I know this conversation is going to resonate. Before I get to that, there is a new way to engage with me and the Tilt Parenting podcast this season. I love making the show and getting to have thoughtful conversations with fascinating guests, and I always find myself wanting to go deeper into the topics with other people who are as interested as I am. And now I can. I'm partnering with a new social platform for book and podcast clubs called Fable to host a special Tilt Parenting pod club. So what's a pod club? It's like a book club, but for podcasts. Together, we can go deeper on every single episode and share our highlights, our comments, our questions, related resources, and more. And it is completely free. To join my new pod club and the discussion surrounding what Gail Post has to share about the realities of raising gifted and chewy kids, just download the Fable app on your phone or device and search for Tilt Parenting or go to tiltparenting.com slash fable for a direct link. I hope to see you there. And now here is my conversation with Gail. Hey, Gail, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me here. Glad to be here. Well, I'd love if you could take a few minutes to just introduce yourself and 
tell us a little bit about the work that you do. And as part of that, I always ask my guests to share their personal why for the work that they do. Well, the why has really informed how I got involved in this. So background, I'm a clinical psychologist in practice for like 35 years, work with teens, adults, parents, families, all that stuff. But my interest in giftedness was sparked by several convergences of events. One was, as I was getting more involved in private practice, really bright, high-achieving people, and they had unique issues. It's also tending to see a lot of folks with ADHD and, and other complicating factors. But the biggest thing was really raising two gifted kids that it up to how much advocacy work is necessary. And I got involved with a gifted parenting group that was within our school district, ended up co-chairing that. We advocated for a lot of things with the schools and Got some things accomplished, things like universal screening, all of that. As my youngest was about to graduate, because now we're going on almost 10 years of my blog, I started a blog, which wasn't so much about my own stuff or my kids, but more about social and emotional issues and advocacy and parenting. And I just felt like I needed to advocate in some other way. So I continued to write and did workshops and all of that. And then recently published a book through Gifted Unlimited Press called The Gifted Parenting Journey, which is really about parents understanding their own motivations and emotions so that they can parent at their best. But I just think that, you know, 10 years later, since my blog came out, I've seen some progress in the field and certainly an explosion in awareness of neurodiversity. But man, those school systems a lot of times are still in the dark ages and don't get it. So parents are continuing to struggle. Fortunately, there are more options for parents to learn more, like podcasts like yours and lots of groups online, but it's it's always a struggle for families. Yeah, I too have noticed that explosion in awareness of neurodiversity, of twice exceptionality, and it's so exciting. And there's a part of me that is well, of course, I'm super psyched that this is happening. And I'm also, uh, why couldn't this have happened, you know, 10 years earlier, 15 years earlier? But it is an exciting time. And I really appreciate your book. We're going to be talking about it today. As it felt to me to be a newer conversation within the gifted community for parents. The book I just want to share for listeners, it's called The Gifted Parenting Journey, A Guide to Self-Discovery and Support for Families of Gifted Children. And even having self-discovery in the subtitle tells you something that this isn't just about your kid, right? This is really focused on the parents, which is why I so loved it that my work is about the parent experience, not about our kids, although we talk about that quite a lot. But could you talk a little bit more about that piece of this? Like, what was your highest hope in putting this book out into the world? As a psychologist, and from my own personal awareness, that the more we understand about ourselves and our underlying motives, the better we can parent. There there are some good books out there that focus on that in the general parenting literature, for example, Parenting from the Inside Out by Dan Siegel. But there isn't a lot out there. And certainly, nothing to my knowledge specifically about this in the gifted literature. So I wanted to invite parents to learn more about themselves through self-reflection and other exercises so that they can really have a handle on what they're feeling and feel more grounded going forward 
with advocating for their children and being there when their child is really intense or demanding or asking a billion questions and how to calm their own worries and fears and anger and frustration and all that because it, it's quite a challenge. I you know, I think that, again, the more we know about ourselves, the more we can help our kids. Sort of like on an airplane when you're told, well, in case of emergency, put on the oxygen mask first before you put it on your child. We have to be grounded in who we are so we can weather the rough times and also fully immerse ourselves in enjoying the good times. And as you talk about in the book, parenting a gifted child comes with some inherent challenges that parents who aren't raising gifted kids are probably not aware of from the outside. And you address this in your book, there's this idea of, well, what do you have to worry about? Look at what your kid is able to do, or they kind of assume that we've got it made in the shade. Those of us raising gifted into a kids know that is not the case. You mentioned intensity, big emotions. Could you talk a little bit about some of the more common challenges that parents raising gifted into a kids experience as part of their journey? Sure. Well, every gifted child, as we know, is different from the next, but there are some common show up a lot. So certainly the intensity and heightened sensitivity, increased empathy, awareness of social justice issues. But also for some, there can be asynchronous development, which, as we know, is where aspects of their development development lag behind others, most commonly seen and fr most frustrating when the child's social and emotional immaturity is on the immature end of the spectrum and their intellect is on the really high level. It's a discrepancy that not only makes it hard for parents sometimes to figure out, well, which age are they? How the heck do we decide what they need? But certainly for outsiders who don't get it, who see a child who can understand things on such a high level, but then has a meltdown. So there's that. A lot of times these kids are somewhat rigid about things, especially if they're sensory processing issues. So some of these kids have sensory issues that make it very difficult for them to tolerate certain onslaughts from the environment and make it difficult for parents. And again, they, they often require a certain level of sensitivity on our part as parents to navigate what, what they need. On a positive note, though, a lot of them really thrive when they feel understood and when expectations seem logical and when they can view things from multiple perspectives. A lot of times when they're struggling, if you can just get them to engage in a more creative way, problem solving, a lot of times that helps. Yes. And I'm happy that you said that because I think there is this idea, again, among maybe muggles or people not raising these kids, that it's just about acceleration. It's just about doing higher level work. And that idea of being more creative in the way that a strength or an interest is demonstrated is a really big piece of that. And I think that's probably one of the biggest limitations in traditional education. Yeah, I'd love to just hear your thoughts on that. I really agree with you. I mean, you're kind of saying basically the, the situation that many parents face, which is their child needs a different approach that just going to school, sitting still, raising their hand, following linear based directions doesn't work, especially with kids who are more spatially oriented, who are more creative, who think outside the box. And that we cover most gifted kids. So a lot of schools, they just don't have the time for it. It's not the teacher's fault, typically. It's just they've got a room full of 25 kids and they have to 
meet kids where they are and gifted kids are outliers. So they don't get the attention they need. And that then is one of the challenges, right? For parents who are trying to ensure their kids get what they need. You talk in your book about advocacy and about how difficult it can be for a lot of parents to voice their concerns. They don't want to be perceived as that parent. They don't want to be complaining or causing tension in a school setting. They're advocating for what their kids really need and deserve in order to be successful the way any other student deserves their needs to be met. I really think you're speaking to this core dilemma that parents face is that they don't want to be annoying. They don't want to bother the teacher. They don't want to be on the teacher's negative list toward themselves or their child, but yet their child is floundering. So the biggest challenge is how do you approach a teacher? And some teachers really get it, but their hands are tied because of budgetary or administrative concerns and others don't necessarily get it. But the concern a lot of parents face is I don't want to be seen as pushy or elitist or thinking my child's so special or I'm, that I'm dismissive of the needs of kids who struggle. I just need to have these special needs addressed in my child. So parents, they struggle with that. They want their child to fit in too. So they're worried about bullying or other children seen as nerds or outliers, how to get them to fit in. But a lot of times, again, the structured traditional classroom doesn't work. Yeah. And I shared this in my book, Differently Wired, that early on talking with a parent coach about some of the many challenges that we were facing and the big sensory issues and intensity and the rigidity and all of those things. And also knowing from a very early age that Asher was gifted, she said to me, she's like, Debbie, People who are raising gifted kids do not call me excitedly saying, guess what? My kid's gifted. They're like, oh my gosh. Oh no, my kid's gifted. We'll be right back after this quick break. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60tilt at greenchef.com slash 60tilt. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. 
And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com tilt for 25% off just to kind of loop in with what you were just talking about, the parenting experience in relation to society. And we could have a whole conversation about stigma, but I really was struck by the conversation you had in the book about the way that parents also stay silent about their kids' accomplishments. And there's a quote, it's a lengthy one, but I want to read it because it really jumped out at me. You said, playing by different rules takes its toll. It's a man's vigilance, a dampened spirit, and delivers a crushing blow to spontaneity. When you can't jump for joy, your child's concert, school, play, math league, or award night due to fear of repercussions, your experience is diminished. You're suppressing and hiding your authentic joy over your child's success, leaving you isolated with your strong emotions. And I think that's something so many parents can relate to. We feel kind of stuck. We want our kids to fit in. We want our kids to be seen. And yet there is such a sometimes strong reaction from parents raising kids who aren't gifted that we quiet ourselves. We play small. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it's one of the saddest things is that you see people driving around with bumper stickers saying, my student's an honor student, or you have parents all over Facebook or Instagram sharing what seems like kind of routine accomplishments, but good for their kids, right? And good for them. But we can't do that as easily because then we're perceived as elitist or snobby or tiger moms or not caring about other kids like there's this stigma against sharing some of these accomplishments and some of them are really remarkable what some of these kids do. So we're kind of stuck with that unless we can find our niche, our group of parents and people in the community who understand and get it and support it. And they don't necessarily have to be parents of gifted or two E kids. They can be folks who just really understand you and your child and love you and your child and are willing to appreciate and enjoy and share their victories it's tough for the most part. And even in situations where parents do receive some compliments about their children, a lot of times they fall into doing something that you could call undoing. So they may say, yeah, you know, they, I'm so proud of my daughter. She won this award, but you should see her messy room. Or, you know, my son did great in the play. Yeah, I appreciate that. But man, he can barely keep up with his homework. So there's this need to quickly normalize it by pointing out something negative rather than just accepting the compliment. It's really hard and your kids are going to pick up on it. It's quite a challenge following that balancing act because they're going to think, well, 
And maybe my achievements aren't so great because, you know, my parents don't seem to make a big deal about it in public. Or maybe I have to be super high achiever. They're going to pick up on it, unfortunately. So we have to kind of talk to them, too, about humility and what to share and what not to share and the harsh reality that we're in a society that really has a lot of ambivalence and negative feelings about gifted folks. Yeah. And we've had Mark Smolowitz on here, who's doing the documentary, The G Word, and talking a lot about the stigma of the word giftedness. And yeah, I think it is really tricky. And it's something that parents don't really understand if they're not experiencing it in that way. So I'd love to talk a little bit about expectations. This to me, again, really jumped out at me. I think it's something that I have always grappled with as a parent who homeschooled my kid for a long time and just felt this incredible responsibility. Like, oh my gosh, right? This kid's education is in my hands. And so you talk about that, having expectations for kids, you use the phrase appropriately high expectations a lot, which I I liked that language, but we also can have a lot of guilt that we're not doing enough. It's kind of this dance constantly. We're trying to provide everything that this kid needs because we recognize how incredible they are. So can you talk about expectations and the toll that that can take on parents and any best practices on balancing that out? Yeah, it's really a tough one because we see all this potential and don't know what the heck to do about it. You know, do we push them? Do we push them too much? Do we push, are we pushing them too little? What are the short-term ramifications? What are the long-term ramifications? It's really puzzling. And most parents don't know what to do because there isn't much clear advice. And again, each child is different and each child is different at different developmental phases in their lives based on what's going on for them emotionally and socially and intellectually. But I think it's fine to have appropriately high expectations, which doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be all A students or excel in some exceptional way. Rather that they know you have faith in their abilities and potential and expect them to find a path that will allow that to come to fruition in a way that's meaningful and important for them. So it it boosts their self-esteem to know you have expectations, but you just need to figure out, okay, what's the best way to approach my child? I mean, in a sense, we all have expectations, right? We expect our kids to do chores, to be reasonably polite to people on the outside, to censor some of their thoughts, which is sometimes hard for gifted kids. But with gifted kids, again, we have this, you know, what you're describing, this daunting sense of responsibility, like, am I going in the right direction? And certainly that goes to schooling. You know, do you homeschool? Do you pay a lot for a private school? Do you keep them in the public school? What do you do to to help them along the way? I think the most important thing is to be attuned as much as possible to the composite of their abilities, their interests their developmental level, their emotional temperament, their frustration tolerance, and the social climate that they're living in, and then be willing to change and recalibrate based on what works and what doesn't work, leaving room for disappointment and failure, acknowledging small successes as well. For a lot of kids, especially those with executive functioning skills, dilemmas, Just cleaning their room is a big accomplishment. Just finishing their homework on time is a big accomplishment. It's not overstating the fact that those should be important things to recognize just as much as winning a science fair project. So looking at the big successes as well as the little ones, but even with the big successes, 
to really make it clear that you'd love them no matter what, that the love and attention they receive is not hinging on their success. And then parents can also ask themselves, what are my core expectations? What do I value? What's important for me in raising this child and helping this child become a happy, successful, fully functioning adult? What influences and values do I need to instill and role model for them as well? So when you really think about it, it's quite a big task for parents. Yeah, and you really do share that so wonderfully in the book. I feel that it really was helping parents feel seen. The way that you wrote the book is so relatable. And again, it's an experience that isn't really often talked about in this way. I think it really is going to hold people and support people and validate their experience. I'd love to talk about this word potential for a moment, because that is a word that I think a lot about. And with kids who are maybe struggling because of their neurodivergence and their executive function stuff, maybe mental health challenges, which we're seeing more and more of. And you talk in the book that there is a higher correlation, I believe, with mental health challenges or depression or anxiety. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think the the verdict is not in yet. And there are different researchers and theorists in the field who suggest different things. I know that, for example, one study with Nicole Tetro and Ruth Karpinski talked about a higher prevalence of anxiety, depression, and even autoimmune illnesses and allergies among folks who are highly gifted. So there's this sort of built-in sensitivity, which I think we see in general, that these kids are sensitive, they have radar for what's going on around them. And the more we can support them, the better. But in terms of hardcore mental illnesses, I don't know. So in preparing for this book, I also put together an online survey where I received responses from over 400 parents who were kind enough to answer it. And A lot of them identified anxiety, perfectionism, overthinking as top concerns among their children. That doesn't mean they're all clinically diagnosed with anxiety or depression, but they experience it and probably display it in a very intense way. I'm not sure yet. There really needs to be more research about it, but certainly these kids bring a lot of intense concerns to the table for parents. Yeah, I appreciate you clarifying that. So I'm wondering, going back to this idea of potential, then there's a part of me that's thinking is potential a dangerous word. I worry about kids who have grown up being told you have so much potential, you're going to do great things. And then because of what they're experiencing as they get older, having this sense like, wow, I'm letting everybody down here. Can you talk about how to navigate the word potential? That it's so complicated. I mean, even the word gifted can have a a strong feeling of pressure for some kids. It it all depends on how you explain it to them. There are folks out there on the internet, and I'm sure you've seen them and everyone listening has seen them who say, you know, there's no such thing as giftedness, or I'm not going to tell my child they're gifted, or gifted is a really bad word, creates a fixed mindset, and it's really bad for kids. Well, The word gifted may not be the best word that was developed to encompass these qualities, but it's a fact. It's a reality. Kids know it. They sense it. And unless their internal sense of who they are is validated, they're going to be confused. They're not going to know why they think differently than all the other kids or learn things at a different rate. So it's about, in a very matter of fact way, explaining that to them. And that doesn't make them a better person. It's just about 
who they are, how their mind works. And now they have to figure out what to do with that mind, right? How to corral it, how to get it to pay attention and not procrastinate. But also, are there some really exciting, enriching things they can do that would be energizing for them? So I, I think if we can couch both giftedness and potential as just a matter of fact concept, I mean, everybody has potential, right? But I mean, with gifted kids, I think there's more weight on them because they think, oh, it's like a huge potential. But potential doesn't have to be becoming a millionaire or getting a PhD or whatever. It it can be more about how do you achieve a sense of equilibrium in what's meaningful for you? So that could be finding a career down the road that speaks to you, that is really fun and engaging and interesting. Because for most gifted kids, if it's not, they're going to be miserable. And that we just want you to be happy and find your path rather than, oh my gosh, you have to be super successful. I really love that reframe. As you said, equilibrium, I was thinking of integration, but this idea of being able to be a fully expressed self where those parts of who you are, are sparked, or you get to really play in your zone of strength for most of the time. I just want to say, I think that's true for parents as well that a lot of parents don't recognize their giftedness and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. A lot of folks with gifted children, assuming their children are, are genetically their children and not necessarily adopted, but if there's a, a genetic relationship, they're probably gifted as well. And interestingly, in, in this survey for the book, there were I found that 25% of parents finally realized they were gifted once they had a gifted child. So there were that many people who were never identified, but then saw, oh my gosh, I have these same traits. So I think we need to recognize it in ourselves as well. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. 
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. I wanted to pivot and start talking about the parent experience because we have been focusing on our kids and we've touched upon the demands on parents, but you spend a lot of time talking about the emotional roller coaster that many parents are on and the really big, uncomfortable emotions parents can experience. You talk about parents who are dealing with guilt, with envy. You talk a lot about envy. Um, And I just so appreciated that. And those are things that people can be really uncomfortable to even admit that it's something they experience. So why did you really want to talk about that emotional experience? Well, I think these are sometimes hidden emotions. Most People out in the field or most people in the community know that a lot of parents of gifted folks are worried about their child's schooling. I mean, that's a given. That's widespread. But then there are these other emotions, too. And it it could be anxiety about just your parenting. Am I doing the right thing? Am I pushing too much or not enough? What will happen with my child? How do I deal with a child who doesn't fit in socially? Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen for them down the road? Are they going to be sad if they don't go to prom? Are they going to have trouble in college fitting in with other kids? What's going to happen for them? There's also embarrassment. Sometimes our kids really embarrass us. They say something that comes across as rude and insensitive when they're just sort of pointing out a fact. You know, when they tell the teacher, oh, you know, what you're saying doesn't fit with what's in the book. Teachers don't like that, right? You know, it doesn't go over well, but they're they're stating the facts. A lot of times they don't know how to censor themselves and what's appropriate social conversation. When they have meltdowns, in in the grocery store aisle when they won't do certain things because they don't like, I don't know, the, the color of the room that they're in, you know, because it affects them in a sensory way. So it's it's really tough to think, oh, my child embarrasses me. Envy also, as you mentioned, that's a big one that a lot of times we can be envious of the kids who seem to be getting along in school and have lots of friends and they don't seem to cause their parents much of a struggle, or even families who maybe have more financial wealth and can afford private schools or or other extracurriculars that we, we as parents can't necessarily envision. And the sense of isolation, like, wow, I don't want to be one of those parents that from things because I have this gifted child and parents, other parents are going to think I'm pushy or I'm weird. And so there's a lot there. And then ultimately the guilt, as you mentioned, the sense of, did I do the right thing? Should I have chosen a different path? Should I have done something more? Yeah. I mean, something I talk with my therapist about regularly because people who know my story and listen to this show know that we've had a pretty unconventional 
last dozen or so years with moving abroad and the homeschooling and doing all kinds of different things. And I don't know that there's a day that goes by where I wonder, did we do the right thing? Not a super helpful road to go down. When you were talking about the emotional experiences, you mentioned the word anxiety, but you have then a whole section just on anxiety. And I'm talking about anxiety in parents. Why is it such a common experience for parents of gifted and two-week kids to experience that? Well, I, I think most parents of a newborn feel a lot of anxiety and feel anxiety when their toddler is throwing tantrums. I mean, there's different points in, in all of our lives where we feel anxiety and worries and fears or when our teenager is out too late, all of that. But there isn't much of a roadmap for parents of gifted or 2E kids to know, well, how do I deal with these different scenarios that are not listed in parenting books? You read things about, well, just give them a coloring book and they'll be fine. They'll sit quietly in the restaurant. It's like, no, they won't. They won't do that. There are these struggles about what to do, how to set up a situation that is best for my child and for us. You know, what events can we go to with a child who has a lot of needs? What do we do about expectations? Do we push them? Do we not push them? Do we advocate a lot? Do we change schools? What do we do about their social relationships? There's so many worries. And again, not a lot of clarity about what works with gifted kids. Because again, gifted kids are usually different from one another. But even in the composite sense, there, there just isn't a lot of research out there about what path works best. I want to talk for a few minutes about gifted kids of color. So we have had episodes about the challenges for gifted kids of color, black and brown kids being identified, being overlooked. But I want to talk about the parenting experience. Are there unique challenges for BIPOC parents raising gifted kids in terms of their emotional experience, like we've been talking about, or navigating school systems? What have you found in your research? Well, fortunately, there's a lot more out there about, certainly about under-identification in minority students, in impoverished families, in rural settings as well. I mean, it's pretty widespread that these kids don't quote unquote look gifted a lot of times to the schools, so they are overlooked. And there's a lot about that. But as parents, again, they want to fit in in their community and there may be less support within their community and outside of their community. There still are some prejudices out there about children of color who are not seen as gifted or who may be expressing it in slightly different ways. And parents are put in this difficult position of having to advocate and go up against folks who don't believe them, which is such a devaluing experience. But fortunately, again, I think there, there's a big upswing in terms of awareness about this. Certainly, I know NAGC, on National Association for Gifted Children, really works on this promote different ways of identifying and supporting these children. As a way to start to wrap up our conversation, I do want to talk about the fact that your book really addresses the parenting experience in terms of that self-awareness piece. And again, it was in the subtitle, but you wrote that parenting without self-awareness is like driving without a roadmap. So what do you mean by that? And why? And what does that actually look like, a parent becoming more self-aware in their role as the parent of a gifted or two-e kid? If we're not aware of what our motivations are or where we get our values from, you can feel like you're floundering all over the place. And gifted kids, all kids really bring challenges to the table and 
even if we're really angry and upset and frustrated and want to yell and scream, just to try to stay grounded in our beliefs and our values of what is important. And we're going to make mistakes. That's okay. But to be really clear about that, but without some clarity, we're going to be influenced by you know, social media, by what our neighbor says about children, by our childhood experiences, which may have not always have been the best. So it, it's really hard to kind of figure out what we need to do. And the more we're aware of what our feelings are, or separating out our personal needs. You know, if, if somebody is was hard as a child to achieve, they may be hands off, like, I don't want to push my child. I don't want them to have the negative experience I did. But yet maybe they need a little bit of a push. Or if felt socially ostracized as a child, they may be hyper-focused on making sure their child is popular to the point of really not allowing their child to express their uniqueness or their quirkiness. So the more we're aware of our hidden motivations based on maybe some early experiences, but even just influences in the general culture around us, the better we can find that clarity and separate out what our child needs from our own needs. And we can also feel more in control and in, in charge of what we're doing and not feel so adrift. I mean, that really is the ongoing work, isn't it? Like to notice, okay, I'm getting triggered. I'm getting dysregulated in this moment. What's mine here? What's going on? What am I making this mean? So I just really appreciated that. That was such a focus of this book. Well, well thanks. And the other thing is just to try to be aware on a daily basis you know, like you said, triggers, like what triggers you and doing what you can to prevent it. Like if you know that you're coming home from work and you're really stressed and hungry and tired, that's not the time to engage in a battle about homework with your child. You know, you need to chill out a little bit, calm down, get something to eat, relax, and then maybe you'll have the resources. So it's being attuned to your own resources and what's, what you can do, what works in any given situation. And again, in the book and in general, what I encourage people is to look at ways that they can understand themselves better through self-reflection, through questions about where did this idea come from? How much do I value it? How helpful is this idea or this approach based on what our family needs or what my child needs or what I need? And to just be more clear. It is, like you said, an ongoing process. Yeah. And your book also... I don't know if it's at the end, but within every chapter, you you tend to have questions for reflection, like questions to go deeper in and see how this applies in your own life. I thought the questions were great and really helped to dig in there and see what's really going on. As a way to kind of wrap up, if there's one takeaway that you want to make sure parents on this journey leave this conversation either feeling empowered about or having a deeper awareness of or just something you'd like them to know, what would that be? For the most part, we're all doing the best we can and doing a darn good job. And even though there's always room for improvement through, for example, self-discovery, that's not to say that you're not already doing a good job. You, First of all, anybody that's listening to this podcast or reading and gathering information about this is an attuned parent because they want to learn more. And that really says something about yourself. So to not take anything that I've said certainly today as a criticism, but as maybe an encouragement to grow further. That's great. Thank you. Where can people find your blog and learn more about your work? 
My blog is Gifted Challenges, just giftedchallenges.com. I'm, it's going on 10 years now. January will be 10 years of doing that. So it's been really a fun road for me. And I have other articles on Medium and in different newsletters through NAGC and Saying and all of those. And my website, my regular website is just my name, gailpost.com. And my book can be found in all the different bookseller sites, you know, independent bookstores. I always like to support them, but also, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all that. I'm in the process of trying to get together some workshops for parents online as well as I mean, I've done plenty of them locally, but also to offer some online. Oh, that's great. Well, keep us posted on that. I'll spread the word through till I know my listeners would be interested in that. And of course, everyone listening, I will have links in the show notes page for this episode for Gail's book, Gail's blog, Gifted Challenges, which I'm sure I was reading long before I started Tilt Parenting. Yeah, congratulations on your upcoming 10-year anniversary. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And you do such, I just want to say you do such great work in spreading the word and supporting parents. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. And again, thank you. Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for everything you shared today. And I look forward to staying in touch and seeing what you do next. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. To go deeper into this episode, visit the extensive show notes page. For every episode, there's a dedicated page on my website with links to all the resources mentioned, a full transcript, and a podcast player with key takeaways marked so you can easily go back and re-listen to the sections you're most interested in. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. The Tilt Parenting Podcast is hosted by me, Debbie Reber, author of the book Differently Wired and the founder of Tilt Parenting. This episode was edited by Andrea Curtis Amasquita, and show notes were put together by myself, Andrea, and Lindsay McFadden. If you get a lot out of this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. On Patreon, you can sign up to make a small monthly contribution, as little as $2 a month, and it's super easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash parenting to learn more or click on the Patreon link on any show notes page. To follow Tilt Parenting on social media, go to at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by the listeners who need it by subscribing and leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information about this podcast or any of the resources that Tilt offers, visit TiltParenting.com. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. 
So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.